Hey, I'm Daniel, a political activist and campaigner turned management consultant turned coach. And this is PolitikWise, the podcast where politics meets personal development. Let's face it, it's easy to criticize those in politics. But being in politics is not an easy ride. And yet for many who make the leap, it's worth it. They can make a real difference. So how can we have both? How can we make a difference while at the same time showing up as the best version of ourselves? It's a question that's been with me for the last 20 years. First, when I started out as an activist leading an NGO, then when I did a PhD in politics, and later when I quit my job in consulting to help build up a political movement and run an election campaign. And today, as I coach young leaders who want to make a difference while staying true to themselves. I know the answers are out there, so join me on this podcast. We'll hear from political leaders, from psychologists, neuroscientists, philosophers about their findings and experiences. And together, we learn about the ideas, mindsets and tools of wise people in politics and beyond. Let's go. My guest today is Axel Bagot. Axel's work focuses on the exercise of leadership in complex systems. As a professor, an executive coach, and an organizational consultant, she combines insights from sociology, system dynamics, psychology, and philosophy to create learning spaces in which people can expand their capacity to transform themselves and their organizations. In 2018, she co-founded Leadership Lab International, a consulting firm which brings together researchers, leadership practitioners, and, and executive coaches to achieve human-centered and sustainable organizational transformation. Axel holds a bachelor from Sciences Po, master's from Paris-Dauphine and the Harvard Kennedy School. She has taught in several international institutions, including Brown University, Harvard University, the Africa Business School in Morocco, and the Albert Einstein Hospital. Axel and I, we talk about a key framework in her work, adaptive leadership, and how it can be of use in politics. I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Axel, let's perhaps ease in with a question. Imagine that you're having dinner with friends, your best friends, and then the conversation moves to politics. What happens next? That's a great question. The conversation moves to politics. I think if you, if the conversation was happening with a very close friend, I would set up the objective of the conversation with them. And I would ask, is, is that a real conversation where we're going to reach a point of you and I learning something new and understanding something new together or, you know, exchanging informations that are going to enrich us? Or is it going to be a conversation where you want to be right and I want to be right, where it's going to be more about ideology and our views of the world? I think I would, I would try to understand the setting of the conversation. Yeah. And is that a question that you would ask explicitly or is it something that you would just get a feel for? You cannot. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, the work I do has changed me in many ways. And, you know, all things that you don't say because, you know, it's not, sometimes it's not socially appropriate or, or it's some sort of a breaching expectation. I tend to, I tend to say, I t I, you know, this work has changed me in the, 
in ways that make me surface maybe some of the things that come to my mind so that I can clarify as much as possible. And the people who surround me, my husband, my siblings, my closest friends, they really know that about me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. So yeah, as both of us, we are also coaching and I can, I can totally identify with that where sometimes there are you know, just like eyebrows going up when the question is, you know, are you coaching now or are we having a normal conversation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've done so much work on ourselves as coaches that, you know, we're, we're maybe able to locate where we are emotionally or we're able to, you know, just frame this type of conversations in a little bit of a, of a different way than we were before. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk about your your job, what you're doing, your work, and and how you got there. So, amongst many other things, is it would it be right to say that in a broader sense you're working on leadership development? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it's been it's been a journey that that started with that started in Syria actually because I started my career there and I was working very closely with what we now call leaders. It was at the at this point it was the ambassador. Then I worked with the mayor of Paris. Then I worked with, you know, other, other leaders and, and very recently with my clients because I'm now the CEO of a consulting company called the Leadership Lab International. I worked in different international contexts and I've always seen these leaders as people who had a lot to, you know, a lot to carry a lot to do and sometimes very little time to think and even less time to think about where they were emotionally, who they, like, what kind of people they were, what their values were, you know, like this time that sometimes you need to take a step back and understand why you're doing what you're doing. And I very much want to find myself in those spaces where I can allow for people to check in with themselves. And remember why they're doing what they're doing is really what I want to do with them. And it takes, the, you know, various shapes. It, it can be in a, in a coaching session, but it can also be in, you know, in a lot of my consulting missions. What I do is I interview people, you know, and, and I try to understand their perspective on the work that they're doing. And it, it allows them to create the space where they can think. And I work with doctors and, and nurses at the Israelita Hospital in Sao Paulo in Brazil. And that's the same, you know, sometimes some, some would tell me, wait a minute, I had forgotten that I had taken an oath. You know, the, the Hippocratic oath is, is very important to me, but I haven't thought about it in years. So that's, that's really where I want to be, is for people to be able to check in with themselves, remember who they are, and also understand that they have, as everybody, they have areas for growth, and that they can work on that to, you know, to become better managers and to be able to exercise leadership in a more effective way. So, so it's, it's helping them check in with themselves, taking that step back. And I see that for myself whenever I do, I do that. I see that also in clients. I recently watched a documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I was a bit mm -hmm. challenged by it because What he said was that in his career, he never really took the time to do that. He said he, for him, the value was really to just be doing, 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 and very little, very little reflection, very little thinking. 
And now I'm not sure if that's the truth, right? Whether that's really true or whether that is also an approach that is out there, that just the, the doing it and really very little time to, to reflect. What's, what's your take on that? The time to take step back, think, reflect versus taking action, action, action. I mean, that's, that, that's fine. And I would say in, in the case of this specific actor slash politician, it's fine because he has a team of people who think around him and who can advise him. And that's maybe something that he has forgotten, you know, that he's not the, the, he's not the only one in this, uh, in this story. And that's, that's unfortunately what we tend to think is that there's just one hero of, you know, of the story. But in his case, he has a team of people who can support him and who can give him different perspectives. What I think is happening when people check in with themselves, when they take a step back, when they, you know, speak with their coach or with a close advisor, is that they generate multiple interpretations of one situation. And so it really enriches their perspective on what's going on, and it can really help them think about different strategic approaches, you know, whereas it's, you know, the way they should experience something, you know, sometimes recognizing what I call a line of code. Oh, I tend to take things personally because I have a big, you know, I have a need for recognition. That is, that is something that's been there throughout my life for very good psychological reasons. So because of my system of origin, which is my, my family. Or way I, you know, the way I grew up or the way I was raised. And okay, I have, I have a tendency to take things personally. So maybe I want to take a step back and I want to, you know, choose another interpretation of what's going on in front of me. So I, I think being aware of what I call your lines of code, you know, the way the system that you are is set up in some ways can really help you sometimes exercise leadership more effectively than you would have if you had just been on the dance floor, you know, there is this very interesting distinction in adaptive leadership between the dance floor and the balcony. And, you know, it's okay to be on the dance floor and to be in reactive mode all the time, you know, to, to be in action all the time. But I do think that when you take a step back and you see the action from a distance, when you start, you know, seeing a little bit more than what you were seeing when you were on the dance floor, you tend to make better decisions. Better de by better decisions, I mean decisions that are not only, you know, centered around yourself, but also centered around your purpose, centered around the people you want to manage, you know, all these other things that make you being in a specific place and doing what you're doing relevant. And probably then sometimes you're getting onto the balcony by having those conversations, perhaps even conversations with advisors or different stakeholders or citizens from walks of life that are perhaps not your own. You're taking that balcony view or is that, or is that something else? No, absolutely. You, you need to take the, the, the balcony view to better understand what is it that you're doing, why you're doing it. And sometimes... You're doing things for the wrong reasons. I'm sorry to say that, you know, a lot of times I've seen people making decisions or choosing a specific pathway more to please the image of themselves that they have in, the, in their mind or, you know, people's projections or whatever is more an illusion than the reality of the system in which you're operating. And that's, that's something that is, I think, important to have in mind. I remember when I was working at the, at the City Hall of Paris, 
the mayor, after having encountered a little bit of a disappointment, political disappointment, because one of his motions had not been chosen over, you know, a certain number of motions that were going to determine the, the future of the Socialist Party. And one of his reactions was to lay off a few of his advisors who were not exactly on the same political line that he was. And, you know, as a way of protecting himself. And I completely relate to that emotionally, you know, like you want to protect yourself, you want to surround yourself with people that you really, really trust. But at the political level, so at the, you know, at, at the level of what you're trying to do in the world, this can only have negative consequences because he lost the enrichment that all the people who were not in perfect agreement with him could represent in a conversation, you know, in a meeting. Should we do this or should we do that? Now, you know, because he didn't have the, the naysayers or what I would call the, the loyal opponents around him, it, it was easier probably. It felt easier, but it was also maybe much less effective. That's probably a dynamic that, that is not, very, not rare in politics. I, would, I, would, I could also think of, of a few examples. So. Yeah, and, and I can only, you know, empathize with, with, that, with that tendency that people have to surround themselves with people who agree with them. But at the end of the day, especially in politics, you're here to achieve something that's bigger than you. You're here because your sense of your need for contribution is, has, has now come at the forefront of all your other needs, you know, the need for love and connection, the need for safety, the need. So at the forefront is your need for contribution. And, and making decisions based on your needs only is not going to be relevant for the work that you have decided that you're going to do, you know? So that's why surrounding yourself with people who disagree with you or who have a different perspective or who can give you additional data that is going to help you make a more effective decision is, I think, the way to, the way, the way to go, even if it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, do you have any pointers? And this is, you know, I'm aware that, that the context of the podcast is we've got limited time, but any pointers for people who might feel they are struggling with this? They are emotionally engaged and not able to take the balcony view. They might react in a way to say, hey, I want to protect something here rather than perhaps get to the best decision. Any, any pointers they, they, they should look out for? Yeah, I mean, to me, at the, at the end of the day, it's really all about purpose. And we, we see some people who enter politics because they have a strong need for power and, and a strong need for significance. But to me... The reason why you enter politics is because you want to make the world a better place, you know, to, to summarize it a little bit quickly. And so surrounding yourself with people who have the same purpose, who share your need to make the world a better place, to, you know, go from a current reality that is not satisfactory to a better reality that is going to be sat more satisfactory for, for your community, kind of make you this... These people who hold a space where, where people can learn, can discuss, can disagree, and then you're going to be able to make the, the most relevant decision based on that. I think it's, it's important to build those spaces where you can, in some ways, manage conflict. You want to be able to 
understand that, you know, there's a stakeholder who thinks that way for this reason and another one who thinks this way, you know, for what is always valid reasons. There is no one who makes decisions based on something that's illogical or that's, you know, evil. There's no evil. There's only people's interests and and what they want to defend, you know. And sometimes it's about who they are, their identity, and you can only respect that. I mean, people have gone to war for identity, for, uh, because of identity, for centuries. And so you have, to, you have to really respect that. And if you surround yourself with people who think the same way you do and, you know, who don't give credit to some stakeholders you really, really need to listen to, then I think it's, it's problematic. And that's, in some ways, that's what we did when I was working at the City Hall of Chelsea. After my, my time at the Harvard Kennedy School, I worked as an advisor a research fellow for the Ash Center at the Kennedy School and an advisor to the mayor of Chelsea. And at some point, we understood that it was very important that the next conversation with the local population, and a lot of them were illegal immigrants, you know, right after the election of Donald Trump. So, you know, the fear was very present in this community. We understood that it was important that, that the meetings were not taking place at the city hall because, you know, it was, it was too much on the level of distrust towards authority and anything representing authority was too much for people to decide to enter, you know, an, an official building. So the mayor of Chelsea could listen to that, you know, maybe he would have felt more protected and safer staying within the, the walls of the city hall, but he was able to listen to a different perspective and he was able to understand that, yeah, it was something that was needed, that he needed to step out of his castle, you know, in some ways, and that he needed to meet people where they were. And so we decided to go to a school because that most people were parents and where they have a conversation. And that was a much better holding environment for, you know, the, the conversations that were going to take place, especially since the police was going to be there, the, the firefighters were going to be there, you know, some, some people from children and family services were going to be there. You know, it, it was important that at least the space where the conversation was going to happen right after this presidential election that, that, that was going to have consequences for illegal immigrants was some sort of a neutral ground. And what strikes me is that this is very much about the environment in which we are in to take care of, of that environment. You mentioned it right now with, with this example and earlier with the people that you surround yourself. What purpose do they, they, do they have? Do they share that? And what perspectives do they, do they bring in? Tell us. And I, and, and my understanding is that this is part of what adaptive leadership is, is about, but perhaps. Tell us a little bit more about that. This is one, one of the key frameworks that you're using in your, in your work and that you've also seen work in large organizations, international organizations, as well as in the broader field of European politics. Share a little bit more about your experience, how adaptive leadership can, can make a difference. Yeah, of course. So it's true that a lot of my work is based on adaptive leadership. But before doing adaptive, teaching adaptive leadership, I was studying political sociology and psychosociology as well when I was in France. And I think that need for a better understanding of 
you know, social trends, understand things at the systemic level, you know, what are these communities doing and how are they deploying themselves in the system that our society is, is something that was, that, that was very important for me. I'm very curious. I've always been very curious to understand why people are doing what they're doing. It's always been the question that's at the, you know, at, at the core of, of what I'm doing. And so, so it, that's how it started. It's, it really started with curiosity and it started to understand better what a society is going for. What are the reasons? And, and for instance, you know, I started with studying how Islam and the Muslim community was getting integrated in, in France, which is where I'm from. And it was interesting to see that at first, what France was offering was some kind of a, a pushback on, for instance, wearing the, the veil. I don't know if you remember, but in, in the 90s, where, you know, which, which was the time where I, I, was, I was around, you know, 17, 18, my society, the French society went through that, that, that very important debate. Should we or should we not allow for women who are from this specific religious community to wear the veil? And that was, that was something that was making me very curious. And, and, I was, and I wanted to understand what type of society we were going to become. You know, I wanted to understand what secularization, sorry, well, I wanted to understand what secularism had to do with that. I wanted to understand what our cultural history, you know, the, the, the Christian history that's very, very anchored in, the, in this part of, of Europe had to do with the way this whole question was set up. So it's really about questions. And as, as the poet Rainer Maria Rilke says, you know, it's really love the questions for themselves. That's what I found in adaptive leadership is I could ask all the questions I wanted to ask. And in fact, I was trained to ask more questions than I was going to give solutions. You know, it's really what, what Ron Heifetz, who's the founder of this theory of leadership that adaptive leadership is and who teaches at the Harvard Kennedy School, what he really gave me is this sense of wonder is this ability to be, to be curious about anything and everything. And that's, you know, and my UNICEF students, you know, I teach this leadership program at UNICEF and they always laugh because they, you know, they know what I'm going to say first. It's all about being curious. It's all about asking questions. And once you have understood what's going on, then it's time for you to craft a different, you know, a different type of strategic intervention than you would have if you had not spent the time to ask questions. So for me, adaptive leadership is really about this. It's about this mindset. It's about this way of approaching any challenge, you know, with a curious, with a curious mind. And then it's about a different, it's, then for me, adaptive leadership is based on the willingness to name things, which has changed my life. I mean, the day I sat down in this classroom at the Harvard Kennedy School and the day I heard Ron Heifetz using all these different concepts that, that rang so familiar to me, that, you know, it was putting words on things that I had felt in my time at the City Hall of Paris, in my time in Syria, when I was working at the French embassy there. He was really framing things in a way that made me understand that we could act 
on certain things. We could understand them, we could break them down, and we could act on them, and we could change them. And that was really amazing. And so concepts like, you know, balcony and dance floor, being on the dance floor in reactive mode and being on the balcony, you know, taking a distance and trying to see more than than you see when you're in reactive mode is something that, you know, has helped me understand situations better. But then I've spread the world and the word, of course. And so I've had I've helped people understand the situation in which they find themselves more accurately as well, using this very simple concept. You know, map your stakeholders. I always say to my students, map your stakeholders. There is always a stakeholder that you have forgotten or a stakeholder that you're not listening to for, you know, various reasons that have to do with your identity or your values. And so don't forget to understand the system in which you operate in, in a very precise way so that you can use all the resources that surround you. There's always more resources around you than you, than, than you think. The concept that really changed my life is the concept of the work at the center, because I understood that people sometimes have a different interpretation of the reason why they're doing what they're doing and or they forget it over time and that is very detrimental to to the the very reason why a system exists and i have i have an example of that i was working in a in a city hall for a, for a few years and there was this this staff member who was working at the human resources and she was very quiet and she was, you know, arriving at nine, a sharp, leaving at five, sharp, very ill at ease socially, I would say. And, and then at some point she, she decided to resign and she went on, you know, on, on different, a different professional adventure. And when her replacement arrived, we decided to change the configuration of the desks you know, well, yeah, people needed a little bit of a change of, of scenery. And we, you know, I, and I came, it was across my office. So I came to give a hand. And when we moved the desk of this person, we found that in the little breach between the drawer and, you know, the, the back of the, of the desk, she had put all the, the, the mail and the documents that she didn't want to deal with or she didn't understand or that she had questions about, you know, she would put a, a question mark on this, on the, on these documents, and then she would put them there as a way for them to, to disappear from her sight and to disappear eventually from, from everyone's awareness. And that's really for me, the beginning of understanding that somebody in our system was lost and she could not ask questions. There was no space for her to say, Hey, I'm dealing with this. I don't know how to, I don't know how to, what to do there. And so, so that's very important because we could be very angry and we could say she was a, you know, she was a bad person and she didn't want to work. And she, and for me, that's just the mark of somebody who's completely disconnected, uh, disconnected from purpose and who's also disconnected from her system. And so for me, that's the mark that we are in a system where people can feel completely let down. And instead of asking for help, they just quiet down until they leave. And I would even go one step further. I think that the system pushed her out because she could not exist in a system, you know, that was so closed off and where people were not, you know, um, answering any question, you know, was just the curiosity to, to solve something together. 
So no collaboration possible. And so when we found out that this was what was going on in the system, we decided to sit down as, as an organization with everyone from the, from the city hall. And we decided to talk about it. And, and, and that's, that's really something I think that, that comes from my training in adaptive leadership. You know, the, the accent of the, of the early years would have found that the problem lied, you know, was lying in this person. But the problem never lies in a person. The problem lies in the system that allows a person to, to behave in a certain way. Let me ask a follow-up question here about all of us who are not going into politics in the formal sense. We're not running for office, but we have people in our environment who do. These might be friends. These might be members of our family who are running for office or at whatever level. So in a sense, we are part of their system. Any thoughts on what is it that we can do as part of their system to support them in their role, to support them in wanting to make a difference? You can be an anchor. You can be an anchor for them. Meaning you can be the person that they go to when they, you know, when they, they don't know what to do or they don't know what to think about a specific situation. You can open up a space where they can reflect, where they can rest as well. And you can tell them, whatever happens, you're my friend and I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm also going to check in with you to know if you know, if I disagree with you, if that's the right time or if right now you need time to rest and time to maybe, you know, play or, or engage in any activity that is going to make you feel that you're reconnecting with the other parts of, of who you are. Because when you enter politics, very often what happens is that you become your role. It's very difficult to detach yourself from your role when you're in politics because you're watched all the time. And you have to think about a lot of what your responsibilities are, even, I mean, you bring them at home with you because so many people depend on your decisions and the decisions you're going to make. And so what you can be is somebody who opens this, this space for them, the space where they can be themselves, which is the, the space where they can strip themselves in some ways from the, from the role and, and you help them distinguish themselves from the role is what I would say there. There, there are three types of anchors. There's the people, there's sanctuaries, you know, the places that remind you of who you are and where you can really rest. And there's the practices where you can do something that is helping you, you know, relax and your body take over, you know, because very often we walk in this life and we're ahead. We're thinking and what we are selling most of us, and especially in politics, is what's in our brain. And so it's good to reconnect with our body sometimes. But the, the most important anchor, I think, is the people who surround you, who can hold you, hold your hand when you're feeling, you know, that you're close to burnout or that you're really impacted emotionally by something or can, who can push you and tell you and remind you of who you are and how strong you are, you know, and tell, and tell you you can do it or who can tell you you can do better. That's that quality of, of interaction, I think, that, that you can be for somebody who is in politics. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, and actually, this reminds me of a CEO I once read about uh, of a large organization. And one way he had to, to deal with all of the pressure that his role came with was 
just say, hey, I'm going back to my, on regular occasions, I'm going back to my childhood home, right? Where I have my, yeah. the people who knew me when I was eight years old, where I'm in the space where I was eight years old. And I don't know if they played anything that they, that they used to play when they were eight years old, but this seems to capture these three elements of an anchor in an interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the example of this director of the IMF who, who had a specific small room next to his office where he could play the violin, where, you know, where, where it was for, for him a way to rest and to, to maybe distance himself from the very important decisions that he was making or that he had to make all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Axel, this has been really, really insightful. There's a lot, lot in here and I'd love to continue the conversation. Time is running out. I have this one last question. Again, it might be tricky, but let, let's see. It's a question about a core message that you, that you have, that you would love everyone who is in politics, you would love to see that message. A different way to put that is, you know, if you could put up these billboards in front of every seat of government, every parliament of the world. So that everybody who worked there, people in government, people in parliament, would always have to walk past it and would see that message. What comes up for you? What what message would that be? I would say that so the message would be remember that you're not a hero, you're a public servant. And I think it would anchor them in purpose. You know, they're here to serve a population, not to serve themselves. I think it would help them remember, because they're not a hero, that they're surrounded with people who are very much helping them. You know, even sometimes just the driver of your car, you know, who brings you from home to, to the parliament is somebody who helps you do your job well. Because this person does her job well, you can do your job well. And, and I think, yeah. you know, really seeing yourself as part of a community is important. And, and it helps you also take responsibility sometimes, even if it's not going to make you look like a hero, because that, that's not really why you're here. You're, you're really here to take responsibility. You're not here to be hyper, hyperactive. You know, the, your example of Arnold Schwarzenegger is, it's really, it, it's really, really good. Sometimes you need to listen. And sometimes re your responsibility is, to listen. So yeah, that's, that, that would be the message. Yeah. It also takes away some of the pressure that, that might be quite high in politics, right? To not be the hero, but a servant, just as many others of us are servants as well of, of, of others. Yeah. I think that's very much, you know, if you think about Zelensky these days, the president of, of Ukraine, or if you think about Jacinda Ardern during COVID, for instance. I don't think these people are trying to have, appear as heroes. They, they really are trying to do their, their, their job. And their job is to, to serve their, their nation. And, and, and I really find these two examples very, very inspiring. You know, when I heard the, the prime minister of, of, of New Zealand was going to hold a Zoom call with the psychologists to help parents think about what to do with their children, you know, be, because of the lockdown. I, I mean, it, it really blew my mind. The, and she and she really had listened to what was going on in, you know, in in the system that 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 she wants to serve. 
So that I find these examples very inspiring. Axel, thank, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been really insightful for me. Uh, I'm sure so for the listeners. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked the episode. Please share it with someone who might find it valuable as well. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover or a guest I should talk to, let me know. You can find out more on my website. Head over to politicwise.org. Until the next time.